Welcome to the Effort Bucket, a podcast exploring the realms of cybersecurity and our human interactions with digital innovations. I'm Alex Galegans, the Systems Administrator. Ashley Kesky, Cybersecurity Analyst. Paul Ruffalo, a cyber consultant that doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up. <laughs> and welcome <laughs> to our first episode. If you listened to our short introduction explaining who we were and why we wanted to do this, then you'll have an idea uh, who we are. And if not, then I'm sure it'll become clear as the episode proceeds along. All right. And folks, I want to come in hot right away with a topic that I found. And uh, I have some mixed feelings about so I want to talk about uh, privacy and security in uh, private messages, um, if that's okay with everybody. Let's do it. Okay, fantastic. So there's this article that I saw not too long ago. Um, links are in the episode description, by the way, if anybody wants to take a look at these themselves. There's a... Uh, there's a teen uh, that was recently released, cleared of any wrongdoing, um, which is good. Um, he was in court because he uh, was on a plane in 2022. He was uh, going from London to uh, an island in Spain uh, or a Spanish island. Um, there are no islands in Spain. Um, and he sent a message on Snapchat to like six of his friends and said, Hey, on my way to blow up the plane, I'm a member of the Taliban, um, which, you know, you probably shouldn't do. Um, obviously not a smart thing to say. Um, but this is not something that was said out loud was not something that was said to any other passenger or to any flight attendant or any member of the crew, not said to anybody in the airport, just sent via text message to other people in a private Snapchat group that this person was in uh, with people that he was traveling with. So, so the exact quote is, on, on my way to blow up the plane, I'm a member of the Taliban. Is that right? Yes. I think it was a picture of him wearing like sunglasses and a like a vacation hat of sorts. Uh yes, because uh for people that are cooler and younger than I am, apparently that's how Snapchat works is you'd <laughs> send a text message uh a long time uh, along top of a picture. Uh I never really got the appeal myself, but um so yeah, that was the uh message that he sent to his six friends. So the the response from uh, the authorities was to launch two Spanish fighter jets to <laughs> to escort this easy jet plane with a uh, hundred and forty some odd people on it, force the plane to land, uh, and then haul this person off of the plane in handcuffs and take him into police custody uh, and hold him basically on charges of making threats against uh, the aircraft. And then prosecutors uh, in 2024 here, so a couple of years later, wanted him to pay uh, a $156,000 uh, fine for the cost of scrambling the Eurofighter military jet, and then another $37,000 fine uh, if he was found guilty. Now, the judge said that his actions hadn't constituted a crime after returning his verdict just three days after the end of the trial. He said the actions of the British youngster had no intention to provoke the mobilization of a military plane or any police or other emergency service. So, uh, I have mixed 
feelings about this. And I imagine a lot of other people will too. Um, so first question. Yeah. This, this person. Mm-hmm. Was he jailed for two years? Uh, Good question. I don't remember reading that. I mean, the article does state he spent two nights in police custody before going in front of a judge. So then theoretically he was let go. And then brought to trial And then brought later. back. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, I guess that's more anecdotal for me than anything. Um, how did, but this was sent in Snapchat only. It wasn't sent via text or it wasn't a phone call, wasn't an email. Correct. Yep. So Just, how did anyone else know? So that's uh that's part of the part of the question is how did anybody get word of what was in this private conversation? And at least from the articles that we have access to there's doesn't seem to be a clear answer as to how that happened. Um the there was speculation. It's like, oh, maybe one of the other people in the Snapchat group uh, reported it to the authorities, uh, but they denied doing that at the trial. There's a possibility that maybe one of them uh, was on airport Wi-Fi and possibly sent the message there. Uh, and so it could have been picked up by British security services that way. Although one of the theories that I was reading about with that one specifically, a spokesperson for that airport said that their network does not have that capability. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that's hmm. that's part of the reason I have mixed feelings about this. Because like obviously it's not cool to make threats against uh, airplanes, right? We all live in a post-9-11 world. Um, and nobody likes to even entertain the thought that their life might be in danger while they're traveling, and rightfully so. You should not have to uh, consider that as a possibility. But when I stop putting on my we should charge people for bad behavior in a public setting hat, and start to put on my cybersecurity hat, then I start to think, is this, does this indicate a problem of some kind? Because uh, clearly somebody intercepted this message that was not meant for them and took action on it. What's the... What's the reasonable expectation of privacy, I guess, that you should expect to have when you're using digital communication just between yourself and your friends? Uh, is there an expectation of privacy or do we kind of believe that all of that should be open to authoritative figures? Do we believe that it should be open to authoritative figures as long as it's in the service of the public good? All good a tough question to answer. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. It, I mean, not only you mentioned 9-11, which obviously was a, a great tragedy and changed the world forever, but even here locally with all the school shootings and other incidents that have happened, I think that maybe the need for less privacy is warranted given the fact that in a lot of those those occurrences there seem to be warning signs early and often that if if someone were to react maybe like this um that could be prevented mm -hmm. and that's that was a big part of the discourse that i saw online honestly it was the discourse online more than the article itself that first drew me in and people rightly pointed out that you know, if it had been exactly the opposite story of something had happened and mm -hmm. then Snapchat comes forward or the airport comes forward or whoever it is comes forward and says, um, yeah, we intercepted a, a message, but we didn't do anything with it because of privacy laws 
or uh, the person's expected right to privacy, then the conversation quickly becomes, why didn't you take action? Why didn't you do something to prevent this terrible thing that occurred? At the same time, I don't necessarily feel like... I don't feel like my communications that I have with other people should necessarily be open to public scrutiny the same way uh, messages that I put out into the public space should be. Obviously, if I put a message out into the world in a public space or uh, send it to uh, somebody else or I make an overt threat, uh, then I deserve to suffer the consequences of that action. But what do we stand to gain and what do we stand to lose uh, by assuming that that right to privacy is just dead and gone? Do we feel like the right to privacy is dead and gone? I, I would hope not. Um, I mean, I think this is kind of a conundrum because of the platform, Snapchat. I mean, I I have my own reservations about Snapchat in general. Uh, I don't use it. I've told my family they shouldn't use it, but I also let them make their own mistakes. And I I just have reservations about a platform that broadcasts the fact that the messages are deleted. And Mm. there's (laughs) tons of stories going on about, you know, People that have used it to do to do things, and then you know, at the end of the day, if they aren't completely deleted, they can get recovered um, for the purposes of forensics or or investigations, right? So I think that that creates an, an another variable in this conversation. I think for me, from a, I think everyone deserves the right to private communication, um, but in this case, because you're using something that is theoretically publicly available that does kind of open the door mm-hmm. in my opinion i can see that i would agree the i think what it brought up for me was it was more interesting to question how the information came to light to begin with right. because there didn't seem to be a clear answer for exactly how that happened even According to the prosecutors, the, at least, or I'm sure there's there's information that didn't make it into the news article, is the much more likely scenario. Sure. And someone has to know that answer. Like, someone knows how they received this. I, I would think tip. so. Yeah. Um, presumably, you can't uh, submit evidence without knowing the source of where it came from. Uh, I think what it brought up for me is kind of the take-home point was not necessarily you know either my messages are safe or alternatively they aren't safe it's it's another reminder to be careful of the medium that i choose to send messages through and the content that i choose to put in them um you know and if i'm going to send uh data that i ultimately want to make sure is as secure as i possibly can then one of the things to do is to make sure that that data is not just encrypted but it's actually end-to-end uh encrypted um because those are separate concepts um and uh i think a lot of people, myself included, actually thought that there was end-to-end encryption in Snapchat, and that's not strictly true. Apparently, they have end-to-end encryption on the photos that you send, but not the text that you superimpose onto the photos, um, which doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. As... It's a very interesting choice, Cotton. Let's see how that works out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but i don't know is part of that for exactly uh scenarios like this like we don't want to see 
uh, anything that people are uh, putting through the system, but we do want to have visibility into what people are saying. Um, I don't know. I don't know for sure what Snapchat is thinking. And to be clear, um, this is all speculation on our part based on the information that we're able to find online, uh, not uh, a specific statement uh, from Snapchat or anybody that works at Snapchat. Um, and I don't really think we want to necessarily call them out as an example anyway, because the point isn't, you know, Snapchat is is a problem and you shouldn't use Snapchat. The problem is there are so many messaging apps uh, that have kind of flooded the market and new ones pop up all the time uh, that uh, people send very detailed, very descriptive messages through um, without really thinking about whether there's the possibility of those being intercepted by somebody before they get to their intended recipient or alongside the intended recipient. Like WhatsApp is another good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, the I, one that came to mind for me was Signal, but yeah, WhatsApp is, I think, more popular. Man, I, I, I don't use WhatsApp all that often unless I'm interacting with people internationally, either me mm-hmm. somewhere or they're somewhere. And I ran into someone over the summer who was traveling, and uh, they they were too cheap to get a data plan, so they yeah. or a cell plan. So they just said, if you need me, just shoot me a WhatsApp message, and I go to shoot them a message, <laughs> and. It says at the top, uh, user has selected the auto delete function, so messages will be deleted after 24 hours or something like that. And I was like, "What is this person doing?" <laughs> hmm, a little sus there. Like, well, hmm, this is this is yeah, not right. Yeah. Um, I one thing with with this um person um suggesting he was going to go blow up a plane. You know, that they're at the very beginning of the article they mentioned that they somehow intercepted the message when he was still on the ground. But I, I wonder if it was even intercepted via the device somehow and not necessarily in Snapchat. But Yeah, like what uh cell tower was he connected to that they possibly have information from? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think that that would be a really interesting nugget of info to get. Yeah. Anyway, so some interesting questions. Um, I'm not, I still haven't made up my mind 100% how I feel about uh, where I land on uh, our, our need to expose some of this information, our need to uncover uh, some of the things that people are talking about, and our uh, equal need to provide uh, the expectation of privacy for people. But I do know for sure that I absolutely want to make sure that I'm using messengers that are, that are end to end encrypted. And even then, if I, you know, have information that I want to make sure doesn't uh, fall into somebody else's hands, I'm really thinking hard about, do I want to do that through digital communications at all? Um, because, you know, like, I'm even thinking about my messages that I would send to somebody uh, on my phone. I'm not an Android person. I'm an iPhone person. But then I have to start thinking about, like, where else does that message live, right? Well, it lives on my device. It lives on the device of the person that I sent it to. It probably lives in my iCloud backup, their iCloud backup, or if they're not uh, an iOS user, then whatever backup solution they're using. It's it's very easy, really quickly, <laughs> to lose track of the number of copies of a piece of data that exists out in the universe. And as we've all seen time and time and time again, uh, cyber events continue to happen, breaches continue to happen. Um, the The number of uh, times that we're going to see companies say, hey, somebody got inside our doors and uh, pulled down our entire database uh, are going to be more and more, not less and less. I just want to know where the SOC analyst is when they received that alert <laughs> and didn't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I think I'd just say that the the culprit, you know, the the, the guy that did the fake threat, he, they did make it to the appropriate location in Spain. They doesn't look like they were held for very long. They were acquitted. It did take two years. Um, at the end of the day, I think it was just a stupid comment that unfortunately turned into a bigger event than maybe he intended. Mm-hmm. Hopefully lesson learned. But uh, I will say that it, for younger people as well, I think a lesson learned there might be that if, if you're unsure, always assume you're being watched or recorded. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Especially in a public space. Um, and especially as you uh, move about in the world uh, into uh, foreign countries. Um, which may not have the same expectation of privacy that uh, we have here in the U.S., um, may just have different feelings about uh, surveillance in general. I know uh, there's a lot more surveillance uh, in um, in Britain, London, uh, especially than there is uh, in your average city here. Uh, especially in the Midwest, at least. Uh, maybe in some of the larger cities, it's a little different story. But Yeah, the, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm noticing, too, that uh, they were together. Mm-hmm. It's like, like they were all traveling together. So they had the, the, the private group, like, you know, classic screenagers that are communicating with each other in, uh-huh. in the app. Um, and this, 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 this guy normally... He's a good student, chess player, that kind of thing. So I think it's just one of those things where he said the wrong thing and it got caught, and he got caught, and oops. So, yeah, people make mistakes. Exactly, for sure. Sorry, Ashley, I cut you off. Oh no, you're good. I was gonna derail into a whole other conversation. So, no, do it, do it, do it. It's best that you interrupted me. No, go for it. (laughs) Take us down a rabbit Um, hole. Well, I had read an article earlier this week, I'll have to track it down, where um, facial recognition and AI um, misidentified a man, and he was arrested, and completely different person in completely different states. Um, Oh, jeez. They tried to charge him with the crime, and he was like, look, I wasn't even in the state of Texas when this happened. Uh Uh-huh. It was, but yeah, interesting how... You know, he didn't even consent to the being recorded, but that's just the world we live in today. Yeah. That's... Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? So if you're in public <laughs> space, are you immediately volunteering to be recorded? Is, I mean, is that... I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV either, so I don't know if that's... <laughs> like. According to my understanding of... Uh, the laws that exist in the United States. Yes, you are anywhere um, like a bathroom. Um, so probably not in the bathrooms, but I, I don't. I think bathrooms are not considered public space. Um, but, but a restaurant would be restaurants, train stations. Uh, my understanding is that you have uh, no expectation of privacy. Uh, what about a karaoke bar? Uh, I. I'm going to presume not. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to assume this is like my own axiom that there's a double expectation of non-privacy anywhere where anyone's blood alcohol level is too high to drive. Um, Because then uh, camera phones just, they just sprout out of nowhere and who knows what's going to happen. Oh, well, shoot. There goes my argument. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the third link in the description will talk about a lawsuit where two companies allegedly relied on error-prone facial recognition technology to falsely accuse him of armed robbery. Yeah, error-prone, That's that concerns me in the description. Yeah. Right. Well, sort of on the flip side of the privacy discussion is what about the privacy that you kind of willingly hand off? Which now, to be fair, this doesn't seem like it's uh, <laughs> doesn't seem like it's a hundred percent by user choice, because it seems like it's uh, just happening whether people want it or not. But apparently, uh, Google 
has decided that they're going to uh, analyze uh, your messages in order to give you a new uh, generative AI assistant uh, that will show up in your in your messages, so you can basically uh, use it like a uh, Chat GPT uh, right there on your own device. Um, but apparently in order to, uh, quote, understand the context of your conversations, your tone and your interests, it will analyze the sentiment of your messages, uh, to tailor its responses to your mood and vibe. And it will analyze your message history with different contexts to understand your relationship dynamics and personalized responses based on who you're talking to. So do we understand, I guess, the workflow for this? So I guess most evasive phones sitting there, every message you sent is analyzed. And the mm -hmm. article does say that it's analyzed offline. So with or without consent, it just takes all the messages that you send and review them and then over time, it can provide suggestions based upon who you're communicating with. So that's most invasive, meaning I have no control. It just does this. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a little less invasive. I ask it to help me and everything I send it, it then analyzes. Do we know which one it is? Not based on the information we have here, no. That's a great question, though. Because I would say the most invasive, that's a hard no for me. That's not right. I don't, I mean, at that, but I mean, it's like that meme that's out there where my wife and I were talking in the kitchen and I told her a joke. I laughed, she laughed, and Alexa laughed. It was a good day. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scary day. <laughs> so, I, but yeah, I would, if, if it's just sitting there listening, that's, I, I think that that's inappropriate. I think that does happen anyway, though. I mean, uh, but if it's prompt based, isn't that kind of how these language processing models work anyway, is you send it prompts and as you send it prompts it learns and becomes smarter, so to speak, so it can so it can help you? Yeah, I wouldn't be so concerned about that. Um again, total speculation on my part, but when it says uh it wants to understand the context of your conversations, your tone and your interests and analyze your message history with different contexts to understand your relationship dynamics, then, you know, does that mean that I can pull this thing up on my Android device and uh, ask my assistant based on uh, the conversation or not even say based on, can I just say, suggest me three restaurants in the area that my wife will probably like based on the uh, conversations about finding a restaurant we've had in the past. And and will it just, based on that, go, okay, great. So I need to know who your wife is, and then I need to read all these messages and figure out what kind of, uh, what kind of food you all like, what kind of food you don't like, and then I need to search the area and find restaurants that match. Um isn't the answer always, I don't know, whatever you want? I mean, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, yep. I mean, I never know what I want, uh, and I'm the one that wants it. That's that's usually why I'm asking somebody else, because I'm hoping that they'll synthesize information from nothing that I wasn't able to, and it doesn't usually work out very well. Yeah, but in that case, like, could you feed it, like, information from your credit card and past purchases and what restaurants you've been to and yeah, which one you've been to the most? Right. And that one? <laughs> <laughs> like, you seem to frequent McDonald's. Uh -huh, yeah. Just, just analyzes 15,000 data points and then uh, suggests that you go get a Big Mac. Uh... <laughs> so... With this Google AI barred Android thing, what is it like? What's the benefit? Like, are we all? I mean, 
this is in messages, right? So theoretically, mm-hmm. we're sending messages to each other, which at the end of the day are still texts. How is it going to analyze LMAO, BRB, um, et cetera? I mean, <laughs> I'm curious. Because, I mean, how many people, honestly, that text a lot send actual English or actual paragraphs between one another? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do, but I'm. I feel like I'm the elder millennial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. <laughs> I have to Google all of these new acronyms. Yeah, careful when you do that. Yeah, <laughs> different search engine. Right, but <laughs> clear your browser history afterward. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> use a private browser that might not be private. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently, if you uh, Google too many. Uh, popular pieces of slang you automatically get registered for the aarp so that's <laughs> um to answer uh that question uh i don't know i don't know i don't know what the value statement is for a lot of uh, a lot of the AI products <laughs> that are coming to market. I feel like what happened is ChatGPT showed up on the scene and captured the hearts and minds of everybody. And now everybody wants generative AI everywhere. And there's not a clear answer for how it's supposed to help or why it's beneficial to build another language model uh instead of using the one that already exists other than uh the fact that it puts competition into the market which is probably a good thing um uh at an existential level i don't have a clear answer for why this is a thing that we all seem to want and need in every aspect of life these days yeah i can't think of a good reason why i would want something to kind of auto fill out my text messages and reply and if i just wanted the ability to talk to a large language model in a convenient format then i would just open up a browser window on my device and then i would talk to chat gpt Sure. There's an app for that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so your comment, Alex, about chat GPT and being released to, you know, the, the universe reminded me of an SNL skit from the weekend called Stupid Cup or Dumb Cup. <laughs> and it's uh, three three um, perceivably millennials characters, and they each have Stanley Cups. And they're making fun of them. Sure. And yeah, watch it net with my wife over the weekend and I looked at her like, This is this is perfect. I'm like this is a whole nother tangent. Like it seems like any if if you wanna make it in retail, you really just need the stupidest idea to catch on fire and then it can become the thing. I mean mm-hmm. you look at some of the memes that are out there, I get a kick out of them like uh a front wheel drive car with bald tires sitting in the ditch because it slid off the road on in snow and the, the line is this is an image that might suggest that buying winter tires should be a priority over a damn stanley cup <laughs> yes i had a friend tell me over the weekend that apparently all they did was come out with you know new colors that appealed to a different audience and their sales just skyrocketed yeah it's insane. i mean that's some i mean that's some basic uh marketing Mm -hmm. i haven't even seen one in real life so maybe i'm just a dumb old fart that's being a phobie but i mean weren't yetis pretty popular like two years ago now this year is is stanley i think so i i still drink out of the one you that uh previous company gave me there you go (laughs) i mean i'm the wrong person to ask because i only found out this wasn't a sports thing last week 
Like I heard people talk about, oh, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. People are so excited about the Stanley Cup. And I was like, oh, I, I know that is related to hockey. And I know I'm not interested in it. And I tuned out and I only recently like tuned back in. And I feel like the world changed in, in an irreparable way over uh, two weeks. And now I'll never be caught up again. And this is not a shot at Stanley or their company at all. It, I think it's more around society that all it takes is what maybe a few dozen people to decide something's cool and then it becomes mm-hmm. a thing and then oh Jesus poachers galore <laughs> we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna... Lim- a limited release of something and now it's FOMO mm-hmm. right I must have this yeah without without any real reasoning behind it other than the fact that it's hot and new yeah. which is not to say that I'm not excited about some of the possibilities of actual artificial intelligence, which that's the other distinction. Let's be clear. The like generative text that we're talking about is not like it could only be said to be artificial intelligence in the most rudimentary sense of the word. It is absolutely not general intelligence, right? There's no, I don't care if, it generated some text and told a reporter that it was sad and it wanted to die. Like that's still (laughs) just generative text, just one word after the next, after the next, after the next, like it's, um, it's not like there's no consciousness behind this thing. Not yet. Right. Exactly. When there is, that's the development that I'll be excited about. Um, and that uh, will like really be something new and wonderful because then it's like, oh my gosh, we actually like created artificial synthetic life as a species. Wow. Um, this is not that. <laughs> I, I, I really am hopeful that down the road we end up with a real world scenario of bi- bicentennial man existing. Remember that? Robin Williams movie? Yes. Where they they figured out how to make organs and whatnot to extend life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like there are so many instances of people that are gone too soon and maybe there's a way to extend it. Now, at the same time, got a lot of friends in the medical field and there are doctors out there that just say, you know, sometimes what modern medicine is capable of isn't humane. Mm-hmm. You end up with people that you're extending their life, but their quality of life isn't any better. And at yeah. some point, it's it's just it's it has to end. So mm-hmm. there's another rabbit hole we could go down that's not really re- related to our primary topic. Yeah the the question that I've always asked myself when it comes to data privacy is I don't mind feeling like my my data is out there. Um, I don't mind feeling uh, feeling like an algorithm is making uh, making a choice or triggering an action based upon uh, my data. Uh, the threshold for me, just at a personal level, is when I feel like I'm being actively surveilled. Um, specifically by someone uh, with consciousness. That's the <laughs> point at which I'm like, I'm no, that's not, that's not a good feeling. I don't feel happy about what's happening. Uh, I, I don't want that to happen. Like I had uh, coworkers that felt so creeped out when Verizon started doing the, um, the push notification. Like you'd walk by a Verizon store and, uh, push notification would show up on your phone be like oh hey stop in and check out the latest and greatest model on this phone that you know you have one and there's a more up-to-date one available on the shelves come take a look and it was like that's so creepy it's like, that's not creepy that's <laughs> a piece of data that exists about you that says you have version 9 of this device and version 10 is up for sale 
And there's a little blue dot on a map that says where you are. And a little red dot on the map that says where the Verizon store is. And somebody that wrote a little function that says whenever those two little dots get within 200 feet of each other, take this action. But like, there's nobody watching, right? And that's where I don't feel like anything creepy or untoward is going on at that point. And I realize that's a personal decision for everybody. Everybody has to decide where their own comfort level is. That's where it is for me. Um, I've had other times where somebody will call me on the phone um, and start rattling off information that I feel like I would really prefer that somebody not know about me unless I at <laughs> least knew their name. And then that's where I feel like, oh, I really don't like where this conversation is going. And I sure would like it to stop. Sure. So I've I've always wondered, too, at, one, at some point, is there a way to to somehow devalue data? Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, probably naive and a bit asinine, but I think part of the reason data breaches and even ransomware events, for that matter, are valuable <clears throat> is because of the value we place on privacy. And the big what if is, what if we just said, I don't care? You can have access to everything. It doesn't matter. Interesting. Just radical transparency all around, huh? Mm-hmm. Just to say, okay, Mr. Attacker or Mr. Whomever, everything I do is public domain. That in and of itself is a problem. Um, but, you know, my purchase history, uh, shows I watch, things I do, that kind of stuff. It, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if, if everyone were privy to that and everyone was privy to everybody, what kind of society would that be? And does that solve the ransomware and privacy issue? It creates others for sure. Mm-hmm. But does it solve the idea that, well, if I get the, the crown jewels or I get X, Y, and Z from so-and-so company, then, you know, I can extort them. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Just feels like inviting someone into my, or yeah, having someone come into my home without an invitation. Like it just, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say I love it. I don't. Sure, I'm not suggesting that it's a good idea um, or even feasible. I've just I've thought about is is there a way to somehow take that crown jewel and devalue it to the extent that it's just not worth anybody's time anymore? Hmm. Yeah, it's a really good thought. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, at a theoretical level, I think a lot more is going to have to change at a societal level to the point uh, that we can actually think about pulling that off. But that being said, um, you know, younger generations come up all the time and constantly surprise the people that came before with both the new things that they are willing to accept and the things that they're not willing to accept as things that we just always thought were just a part of the way the world works. And then uh, it takes new people with new perspectives to come along and say, "Mm, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Agreed. And I'm trying to think like when did privacy concerns really come to the forefront? Was it was it when all the the news broke of Snowden? Was it before then? Was it more after? I feel I'm really searching my memory and I think there was there was like a trickle coming through the dam before Snowden and then and then after that broke, then it was, uh, then it was just a floodgate opened. Um, and really it was, a lot of it was the same conversation we just had over the last, uh, half hour of, you know, the, the Patriot Act had become a thing. And a lot of it was like, well, but some of these decisions are, are made for the uh, for the good of everybody, for the public well-being, and that's just the way it is. And then, uh, 
And then we discovered that some of the information that was being kept was like, well, that doesn't necessarily have an impact on on national security. That has an impact on your ability to uh, get reelected in the next election cycle. Uh, and that doesn't <laughs> feel like it's exactly what this was written for. Um, and maybe there's been a little bit of an abuse of power going on. Uh <laughs> So basically, uh, I'm saying that we just uh, we speed ran through a macrocosm of the last uh, 20 years of, of social development uh, in the last half an hour. Yeah, I think I, I can't put a finger on when it started. I, I think more recently, every everything and everyone seems to be overly sensitive to darn near everything. Um I mean, I'll even go as yeah. far as to say, if you look at just like recruiting and job posting and mm. that whole process has become just unbearable. But the cliche of it's not what you know, it's who you know is still very relevant and in some ways unfortunate. But I think at the same time, um, you know, I think we've all run into instances where, well, yeah, I know I can do this, but somehow convincing the people that make the decision is impossible. And it's mm. because, in part, everyone is so sensitive to being taken advantage of or being led down the wrong path or um, being um, part and parcel of imposter syndrome. It's just, it's it's a sad state of affairs that I think that, you know, I hope over the next couple of decades we, we find a happy medium and mm. maybe maybe become a little bit more risky, but calculated at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know the right answer to that either. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's uh, like you said, um, people don't they're averse to being taken advantage of, but also uh, we have a highly self-interested uh, populace uh, just as a whole, um, you know, people forget that the kind of the is social contract the right word with some of these services was, you know, we'll, we'll tailor our advertising to you. And that's how we're going to run these massive platforms with data centers all around the world. And you never have to pay a membership fee when you sign up. And now Mm -hmm. it's kind of become, you know, no, you can't have my data. You can't, have my information on what kind of products I buy. Uh, I won't view any ads ever, uh, <laughs> but but I still expect uh, Facebook to be free. Uh, right. And uh, and like, how does that company pay for all that stuff? Well, I don't know. Somehow, uh, it's not my problem. Um, you're the product. Right. They're selling Exactly. You. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And people don't... I, I don't know if people forgot that that was the case, or I don't know if people just never quite realized that that was the case until it really came to a head between corporate interests and individual interests. Yeah. I know we've talked about this before in some of our compliance and licensing conversations, but I'll reiterate that you know um some years ago i was actually going through a licensing audit and ran into the term copy left which i won't get into now but it's a play on copyright basically mm-hmm. saying it's free in, in some way shape or form instead of restricting it i'd say this is open for people to use mm-hmm. and one of the original authors of that i don't remember his name or her name all i know is that they said the individual contributors typically want everyone to benefit from something that you're good at or that you've done because you want people to take that and build on top of it. It's the corporations that want to monetize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always, you know, people that are really, really good at what they do, they're not worried about sharing it with the world. They want other people to benefit from it and see it as an accelerator. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that as a society. Yeah, that uh, that's a really interesting concept. I'm definitely going to have to look more into that. I'm going to look into uh, a lot more on a lot of these topics, honestly. 
Um, but at this point, I think uh, we probably need to kind of pull out of the rabbit hole. Otherwise, we're uh, going to get lost in it uh, forever. But I guess the other thing I would say is if any of our listeners have any thoughts or feedback that they want to send us, this is the point in the show where we would read off uh, some messages uh, or communications that we've received from people. Of course, there haven't been any uh, because this is the first episode. Um, but, uh, I would absolutely invite anybody listening to let us know, uh, what your thoughts are. Um, shoot us an email, find us on Twitter, find us on Reddit. And, uh, if anybody would, uh, like to send us a message on Snapchat, uh, please send us an email. <laughs> but make sure you, you, uh, include a picture with words. Oh yeah, Absolutely. The Effort Bucket is hosted by Ashley Keske, Paul Ruffalo, and me, Alex Gallegos. We're edited and mixed by Alex Gallegos. Our theme song is Limit 70 by Kevin McLeod. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you found our podcast, because it really does help get the word out about the show. If you want to engage with us, you can find us on social media. We're on X at The Effort Bucket, that's E-F-F. Our subreddit is r slash the effort bucket, and you can email us directly at theeffitbucket at gmail.com. Our next episode comes out on March 21st, and we hope you'll come and join us. But until then, these three enthusiastic amateurs with a microphone and a dream are signing off. you didn't just say pull out because we want to keep this a little bit pg-13 yeah yeah no no I, uh, yeah it was a conscious decision um anyway <laughs>